Welcome to the Big Unlock Podcast, your leading source of info for insights and best practices in digital health and digital transformation. Join host Patty Padmanabhan, CEO of Demo Consulting and co-author of Healthcare Digital Transformation, how technology, consumerism, and pandemic are accelerating the future in conversation with leading practitioners of healthcare and technology. Hello again, and welcome to this episode of the Big Unlock Podcast. My special guests today are Jackie Gerhardt and Phil Lindemann from Epic. We will be talking extensively about their Cosmos dataset and the Epic Research Program. We will also be covering a number of other topics, including their recently announced CRM platform, which is called Cheers. Before we get started, I want to take a quick moment to acknowledge our partners, Bewell, for their generous sponsorship of the podcast. I am here today with Jackie Gerhardt and Phil Lindemann, senior executives at Epic. Jackie and Phil, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks. All right. So today we're going to talk a little bit about Cosmos and Epic Research, which is the area of focus for you in in your roles. But before we get there, Jackie and Phil, do you want to just provide a quick intro to your roles at Epic? Sure, I can start. So I'm Jackie Gerhardt. I am a family medicine physician by background. And my role at Epic is one of the multiple clinicians here that help make sure that the software is a joy to use and that work with other clinician executives at organizations that provide healthcare and that use Epic to make sure that their workflows are going well and that their clinicians are satisfied. I'll toss it to Bill. And hey, my name is Phil Lindemann. I work with our data and analytics teams. And, and really what that's all about is figuring out how to take the, at this point, I think it's 170,000 different items that are created by Epic or other systems that we work with, and then make sense of that and serve that back up to users within Epic. So whether that's artificial intelligence, Seth's team from your previous conversations, doing dashboards, or what we've been spending a lot of time on, Cosmos. Cosmos. So let's dive right in. For those who are not aware of who or what Cosmos is, maybe we start with, you know, what is Cosmos? And I know that there is an epic research program that is also associated with the Cosmos dataset. So why don't you walk us through a high-level overview of the platform? Yeah, so I think what we'll do is I'll give a little bit of kind of foundation of Cosmos, and then I'll hand it over to Jackie to to really tell you what we're doing with it. So Cosmos really started as a a collaboration with the Epic community a few years ago now, where we all got together and said, you know, what could we do if we could bring together the information from all of these health systems? What kind of insights, what kind of discovery could we do? So fast forward a few years, we're now at over 130 million patients from all 50 states, where we're over 800 hospitals, 10,000 clinics, all of that data feeding into a central location to be available to researchers and ultimately be brought back into the Epic system. So obviously when you've got that much data together, you can imagine the things you could do with it. So. Jackie, you want to talk a little bit about Epic Research? Absolutely. So Epic Research started right around the same time as the pandemic. It was actually something we had planned beforehand and 
And uh, serendipitously, it came at the same time that we were able to get some good information out quickly. And that's really the goal of Epic Research is to help search the cosmos to find information on insights that might've taken years to find if following a traditional research process and might have been in a medical journal and maybe less out in the public eye as the Epic Research platform is. And so our goal was to make a website that would allow for the generation of getting good insights out quickly to the public and also to the hands of those that can actually make change and take action from it. So working with a especially on the COVID-19 task forces throughout different government agencies, as well as with our customers to try to make sure that anytime we're seeing something new, that we're really trying to get that data out. Yeah, it's fascinating. The timing must have been really good. You had this product in place, 800 hospitals, 130 million patients, 50 states. It's about as representative as it can get, especially considering Epic's footprint within the, within the health system space. Can you tell us a little bit about from the COVID surveillance standpoint, what was the platform able to accomplish for you? And maybe maybe talk about one other use case as well, just so we get a sense of how you've used this, this massive data set. Sure. So like I said, the goal is to get good information out quickly, but we really span the spectrum of trying to write anything that will help the news articles or get things out within a day or two, but also really working on peer-reviewed journal research as well. And so I'll start at the sort of academic end with the peer-reviewed research. And we worked with a couple of other customers, uh, Nemours and uh, Penn and Yale, on a article that was later peer-reviewed and published in the Green Journal, which is the journal for obstetrics and gynecology. And it was specifically looking at mothers that had had COVID and during what trimester they got COVID and if that changed the outcomes of their babies, so low birth weight, preterm birth, et cetera. And so that was one of the first studies that was published on pregnancy and pregnancy, including a COVID infection. And so that was able to get out much more quickly than maybe we would have been able to do and really impact those that had COVID that are you know pregnant and, and wondering what's next. And then on the other end of the spectrum, from a COVID perspective, we also worked with the government. So we did that early on when we were first looking at surges, but also we've been doing that with the CDC more recently in terms of vaccinations. So the goal is in in getting a vaccine approved, there's a process in which you're looking for safety. And then you're looking for is the bang worth the buck, really? Is it is it really like a the benefit is better than the risk that you would take as a patient? And so we've been able to provide on a broad scale a lot of information about patients that have gotten vaccinated and what the safety implications of that and the risks are to then help impact those um, legislative findings. So specifically, we worked on the five to 11-year-olds the passing of the EUA for them to get vaccinated, and then also on the passing of the EUA to get uh, booster shots for Moderna and Pfizer. So those are the COVID examples. And then you mentioned a couple of others. I think for me, the ones that are most impactful are those that will help to drive change. So one that is kind of in the middle of COVID and other is cancer screenings. So during the pandemic, somewhat unwelcome side effect was that multiple different areas were closed, especially clinics that you would get your mammogram or maybe your colonoscopy from. And we really saw that those plummeted. And so the big question now is that we'll be looking for in the future is how did 
decreased screening rates of cancer actually impact the likelihood that somebody has had a missed cancer or that it's going to be diagnosed at a later stage. And we found in our most recent one that we had just published, we've been following this over time, and the rate really hasn't caught up yet. So you would think that with clinics having been opened, that maybe people would be back in getting their screenings, but we just haven't seen that quite yet. So that leaves some room for improvement. So you've got this massive data set and it sounds like uh, this, uh, you're mining a lot of unstructured data in addition to the structured data that's in there. So you talked about peer-reviewed articles and journals, but there's obviously a lot of text in your clinical notes and everything within the system. Uh-huh. So let's get one obvious question out of the way here. How do you make right. sure the privacy and yeah. is uh, secure? 130 million patients, there's got to be at least one or two of them asking this question. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think when you look at something the size of 130 million, we're unaware of an EHR-based data source that's this big, certainly in the US, but possibly the world. So it's a big undertaking. So the first, when we're talking about privacy and, and security, the first thing is no free text, no unstructured data. That has an opportunity that there could be information in there. So that's a very simple rule that any information that's brought into Cosmos has to have a structured location at an Epic site. And, you know, this is something that goes way back into our ability to build these integrated medical records is no matter where you go in the world, Epic is the same code base, even though it might be configured slightly differently in some places in different scenarios, but the meds are stored in the same location. The doctors are stored in the same location. So it made it easy for us to bring all the data together. Still, this is a very hard task, but it was much, much easier than trying to deal with different different databases and different ways that things had grown up over the years. But I'd say the most important thing from a privacy and security point is before data even leaves a healthcare organization, 16 direct identifiers are removed from the record before it arrives in the Cosmos database. And then any users actually interacting with the data are only ever seeing de-identified data through aggregate controls, or if you know there's a very small number of results, it'll say there's fewer than 10 results, you don't get to see the exact number, things like that. So there's certainly a lot of things that we do with the software to protect it. But another special sauce is that when you talk about having this many healthcare organizations and having shared trust, we have a rules of the road that they've all agreed to. That contains things like the data can't be sold. You can't sell access to the data. The data can't leave the secure portal. And those things gave everyone this shared trust that, yes, we can all trust each other because we're operating under this general rules of the road. And then that's governed by the healthcare systems themselves. So there's an elected board that they elect that grows the more organizations that join Cosmos, but they help maintain that that document that rules the roads will evolve and, and stay within the spirit and goals of what Cosmos was intended for. Thank you for that very detailed uh, sort of description of how you ensure the privacy protection. I think uh, that was a very important clarification you made, no free text. I think uh, a lot of people may or may not be aware of that and there may be assumptions around it. I certainly wasn't aware that there's no free text, but that's great. You did mention that this is the largest data set of its kind in the world, and I believe that to be the case. There have been more recently, now this is the largest, but not the most comprehensive because there's other data sets belonging to other systems or other platforms or what have you. Sure. And there are also other similar initiatives underway. And I want to mention a couple here, like like Truveda, for instance, which is a consortium of health systems that's come together to pool the data 
do pretty much what you're describing, to look for patterns and, and to find insights. And some of the data, I have to believe, is possibly epic data as well. And then there are other health systems that are going their own route, Mayo Clinic going their own route. They've got their own data. They're going to mine the data for whatever insights they can get, and they're going to serve their own patient populations. In all cases, the data comes from EHR systems. Some of it is yours, some of it is not yours. Other than the fact that Cosmos is epic data, and I'm making the assumption that it is only epic data, how else is this different? Yeah, I think we'll hit the only epic data is when you think about what we know and what we've learned about healthcare is by making the actual data creation systems. So you know we've created the medical record and the modules and we know what those screens look like. We know what the interactions are occurring. So we have a lot of understanding of how data is created. And knowing the origin of data is really important for a researcher making sense of it once it arrives. So from a quality standpoint, that's one of the, the things that we think is kind of magic of La Cosmos is all the data is coming from a uniform source where we actually understand how it was created. And we can go back to the source and say, you know, what are you doing? What, what's happening in that workflow? So from a data quality perspective, one of the things that we do when an organization onboards to Cosmos is all of their data is run through a series of data quality checks, even things down to an individual lab result. And it'll be fascinating because we'll find out that they've had a particular lab value it doesn't look anything like that same lab value in Cosmos. And we'll work with them and say, oh, it was actually mapped incorrectly. And what that means is that same mapping is what's used to interoperate that chart across wherever that patient goes. So by joining Cosmos, these groups actually are raising the overall ability to interoperate data and healthcare in an identifiable state. So it's kind of exciting that there are some pleasant side effects when they, when they do join Cosmos from a data quality perspective. So that's just a, a mild differentiator that we think is really important. But, you know, there's a lot of these groups that are doing aggregation type things. Some of them are own customers. And, and we think that's great. And I think there's a lot of unique models out there of what each one is trying to achieve. But you really have to figure out a way of what are you going to do that's unique with the data, right? Lots of people can do analyses. Lots of people can do research. We think we have some of the, the highest quality data and you will be able to do high quality research. But the real sort of North Star for us is how do we bring that information back to the fingertips of the clinicians and building tools that are directly within Epic? And, and actually, Jackie, do you want to kind of talk about some of the things we were yeah, doing? Yeah, I do. I'll back up and add to your initial question about what's kind of the differentiator, like why use Cosmos? And I think for me, it really, having used it in research, for me, it's really the size and the representativeness, which we already touched on, but also the speed at which you can get those insights into the hands of those that can act on them. So a couple of instances that I've had specifically in working with the CDC is that, for example, we'll be sharing data about hospitalizations for kids. And they, of course, get information from their public health registries and multiple different areas. And sometimes the delay in getting that information from the public health organization back into the hands of those that can use it is greater than the delay that we are able to have with Cosmos. So as soon as a clinician enter or a patient or whoever enters information into the record, as soon as that is taken into Cosmos, it can be then surfaced to be able to have decisions made on it. And so for this one example, using MIS-C, which is an inflammatory syndrome in kids, we were told by folks at the CDC that 
we have data that's, you know, a good month ahead of some of the sources that they have, which really makes a difference when you're dealing with something like Omicron, for example. So that's kind of the speed piece. The size piece, same thing. It is really hard to do research on a representative data set, especially one that represents the U.S. population. So you can imagine that just like you were mentioning, different Epic customers and others, Mayo Clinic, et cetera, have their own data sets. That's absolutely true. But oftentimes when you're using one organization's data, there's a certain type of patients that might go there. That might be the population that happens to be in, in Minnesota, or it might be the population that happens, to your point, to seek cancer care. And so they might have a, a sort of larger representativeness of a certain specific type of question that they're looking for to be able to answer that. But overall, when you're trying to research sort of general broad questions, really having the scale and the age and sex and race and ethnicity and as social vulnerability index breakdown and so forth that really matches the U.S. population is really a huge step from our research perspective. These are great okay. examples of uh, public health use cases, right? CDC, Omicron, COVID surveillance, uh, other things. Let's take a quick break. And I'd like to acknowledge our partners and sponsors, Be Well. And if you like this podcast, rate us on whatever favorite podcast platform you're listening on. And if you're interested in listening to the archives, visit us at thebigunlock.com. With that, back to the conversation. Let's look at the other end of the spectrum. Who gets access to the data set? What about the private sector? Do developers get access? Do private or academic research institutions? Who gets access to this? I wanted to follow up on the thing that Phil was mentioning about how we put it in front of the physician or the clinician. So you're asking who gets access. So one of the main goals here is in addition to research, putting the data and insights in front of a clinician at the point of care. So clinicians that are using Epic software, our goal is to have them be able to use tools that help to really get individualized medicine to the point of care. So Epic users will be able to use the Cosmos data set. And that's one of the main intent is to bring evidence-based medicine directly to the exam room. But then, Phil, do you want to talk about other users that use it for research purposes? Yeah, just so there's kind of a, a general understanding that the healthcare organizations that participate in Cosmos, they're the ones that actually get to touch the data. So today, that's about a thousand users across all of the different organizations. Now, the nice thing about it is they can work on sponsored work for other industry partners. So we really see it as a way to drive research to some of those groups that are participating in Cosmos so they could work with an organization, derive some insights, whether that's a paper, maybe it's an AI algorithm. But we really do see this being a ability to create lots of different things off of the Cosmos data set. So insights are okay to leave Cosmos, but that that raw underlying data is touched by the, the Cosmos researchers, which is obviously in the Cosmos system. So if one of the, let's say a digital health startup listening to this podcast is asking the question that I'm asking, so the pathway for them to get access to the data in order to either build a product or refine a product is to partner with one of your customers, which would be, let's say, a health system, an innovation group or someone like that, and through them potentially get access. Is that the path? Yeah, we should preface it with this is very early days for us. We're still working through the models of how these things are going to work. But when we thought this through, that was the design that Epic certainly can work and do a lot of these things ourselves. But when you sort of unleash this on the research community, 
and have them being the ones that can actually interrogate the data and do the queries. They're the ones that can work with the digital health startup and they can ask the questions and derive the insights for them to inform their product and build those things. Yeah. Awesome. Love to hear about the newer offerings that you're now, now that you're like taking Cosmos out into the market and you're looking at newer users. I'd love to ask you about a couple of things that are already out there in the public domain. The CRM system, and Jackie, you were quoted in the in the news release about uh, the the CRM platform. Cheers! Tell us about how Cosmos fits. Well, first of all, Epic in CRM. So tell me about that, and then how does Cosmos fit into that story? Yeah, sure. So. Epic has many healthcare organizations that we work with and that we regularly speak with. And in the concept of bringing more patients the right care in the right way at their time frame, we've really been looking at ways to try to open it up to healthcare organizations to have that ability to give patients what they need when they need it. And so I think the differentiator for us is that we are deeply embedded in healthcare. And so we have worked many times on things that you've probably talked before about my chart and the patient portal and so forth, but it really goes beyond that. And that was the impetus to doing Cheers as a CRM application. It's really sort of the CRM that is specifically tailored for healthcare so that we are able to get advice from our current customers who are looking to implement something like that and then apply that directly into the research and development of the product before they're taking it. And then Phil, I think there were a couple of other things you wanted to add for that. Oh, for yeah. I mean, for CRM, it's it's funny. We did finally name our CRM, but it's something that we have had for over a decade that we've been using and learning. It's you know something that our health plan customers do, our diagnostic laboratories use it. So it's something that we've had a lot of experience building and integrating into the various facets of the organization to understand our patients better. But one of the, the real insights for us was as we started working with customers that were more in the region, retail space. So CVS, Walmart, that really helped inform our roadmap of where it needed to go. And a few years ago, we added a campaigns module to that. And then the naming process is always an art anytime you're naming a product. So finally this year or recently here, we finally came to the conclusion that Cheers would be it. So then a great announcement came with that. Yeah. Well, the name is only one part of it. Even stating that you now have a CRM product and that you're in the CRM business is in itself a sort of a big deal in my view. And so I'd be following and, and seeing what comes out of it and, and all the new announcements that you're going to make around that. You mentioned a couple other things that I want to touch on. You talked sure. about your work with retailers like CVS. Uh, so now Epic, which traditionally has been seen as a health system focused software company, is now branching out. So you talked about CVS. You've uh, announced a partnership uh, with Anthem, for instance, recently mm -hmm. around you know pre-auth and use cases like that. I think you've got something going on with Humana, which is also in the public domain. Where Cosmos fits in all this, and you guys are the Cosmos guys. Yeah, I think just to drill down a little bit more on the on the payer relationship, you know, we've always had teams and customers that have been working in this larger ecosystem and we're starting to expand to build solutions to reduce some of that friction. And, and the payer space was a big one where we were seeing groups move to value, which is a good thing. And they were saying, you know, we got to send more information back and forth with the payer than we had to before. This isn't just simply submit the claim and get paid. It became much less transactional and a back and forth. We said, well, I wonder if we could work on something that would have a shared benefit for the payer 
and the healthcare system to really reduce some of that friction. So we developed payer platform and a series of things like the pre-auth that you were talking about, the prior auth. At this point, we have five of the six largest payers uh, participating on that platform, and it's about 100 million patients that those represent. So it's something that's really taken off and, and continuing to grow and has another roadmap. So that's probably another podcast worth of, of discussion for you is to have that team come and talk. But that's been a big part of what we're doing to help ease the movement of that information. But just the right information, because obviously you've got different viewpoints from the payer and the, and the healthcare system. It's got to be interesting and somewhat ironic that payers and providers haven't shared the data directly between themselves, but now you've got somebody like Epic facilitating that process. Well, good news is it's happening, so hopefully consumers will benefit at the right. end of the day. Epic Research, I want to go back to this, Jackie. You mentioned a number of public health use cases but there's also been some interesting work done around public health and public safety, helping identify practices like human trafficking. You want to touch on that briefly? Yeah, sure. So there's a few different websites that we have at Epic. One is epicresearch.org, which shows all of the studies that we do on Cosmos. There's another one called epicshare.org, and then just overall epic.com. And when you're looking at different studies and outcomes that our customers have where they've piloted something and then worked on that initiative, you can go to those different websites and see the different success stories. So the one that you're specifically speaking to was where one of our customers, Henry Ford Health System, they did a training and also a use of the software. So elevating Epic to be able to actually ask the right questions at the right time to help identify more of the human trafficking victims. So their exact program involved kind of three things, increasing the screening so that the folks that were seeing people come through the emergency room were able to identify certain behaviors or cues, then having those people be trained so that when those cues were identified, they knew how to act, and then making sure that they were getting support to those patients as well. And so we have these things at Epic called clinical programs, where when a customer does something really amazing and it could be scalable or put across the rest of the Epic community, we package it up and put it on one of our websites and have it available to anyone that wants to try to do it in another hospital. Yeah, I think that's so great. I mean, just to hear about that. And lately, the screenings have sort of expanded from just the normal medical visits. When I go in for my physical, you know, doctor is asking me about my mental condition. You know, am I feeling depressed or suicidal or, or whatever? It's great because you, know, you pick up on all of this stuff. It goes into the database and somebody somewhere is paying attention and saving lives, which I think is fantastic. I could go on for a couple more hours, but we're coming up to the end of our time here. I want to touch on just one other topic. You know, today we're in the midst of a, of a brand new crisis that we didn't expect, an acute shortage of healthcare workers. And uh, technology is one of many solutions to alleviate that crisis. You're one of the biggest technology providers in the healthcare and the health system space. What is your view on how your platform or your software or your products can help alleviate the this acute shortage of crisis, which is workers, which has been identified as the number one issue for healthcare CEOs in a recent report by the American College of Healthcare Executives. So any thoughts on that? Yeah, I love how you started with 
there's so many pieces to that puzzle because that is the issue. There's just so many reasons that healthcare professionals and clinicians, especially amidst a pandemic, are struggling to determine what their path is, what their calling is to be able to provide healthcare. And so on the non-technology spectrum, we've really been encouraging and working with outside groups, whether that be CMS regarding E&M coding to try to decrease the number of things that people need to document either in flow sheets for nurses and notes or in billing types of situations for physicians. So that we've done a lot of things with partnerships. Same thing, we have a, there's a 25 by five initiative, which is Vanderbilt, Columbia, I believe now AMIA, which is a American Medical Informatics Society or Association, and then the National Library of Medicine, all going together to reduce documentation burden by 25% by the year 2025. And so really leaning on and collaborating with others in the community to, to learn their success stories. But then beyond that in the software, so a couple of different things. I did mention how we have websites where we share uh, customer success stories. So the, one of the most recent ones that was published from uh, UC Health describes how their project saved 64,800 hours of nurse time annually, and that those were processes within the EHR and documentation changes that really did that. And it ended up saving that many of hours, but also 50% reduced clicks and the number of flow sheets that the nurses need to fill out and the length of those flow sheets were was shortened by about 65%. So those are some direct examples, but we're really thinking of it on a broader uh, innovation scale as well. So one of the key areas we're innovating in is voice. So similar to how you might use Siri um, or you might have a, a home device like an Alexa, we also for clinicians have Hey Epic where you literally can ask your phone, the application is called Haiku on your phone, to curate what it is that you're looking for so you don't need to spend time looking for it in the chart. So show me my next appointment, show me Janet's CBC, show me each of the different pieces that I might otherwise take time to look up. So really reducing that piece. And then the other promise of voice is if it's intelligent enough to be able to listen to what my patient and I are saying, how can that be put into documentation and take action so that I don't have to be the one that's facing the computer? And really, computer's never going to replace the empathy and the social cues that a clinician can pick up on during a visit with a patient. And really it should be used to enhance and elevate the time that you're able to see those. And I really do see voice technology being one of the ways that that can happen. Yeah, these are great examples. The irony of technology is that sometimes technology can actually increase the boredom on users. I'm sure it comes as no new news to you that EHR systems have been Fairly or unfairly accused of increasing burdens, but it's so encouraging to hear that you're working on reducing coding requirements, uh, improving documentation and workflow. That's a story that needs to be told a little bit more, I think. So maybe we'll get back on another podcast to talk just about that because it is such a hot button issue today in the context of the shortage of workers and the burdens that healthcare workers at all levels are going through. And we see this day to day. I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it there today. It was fantastic talking to both of you and uh, wish you all the best with uh, Cosmos and Cheers and all the other work that you're doing. Thank you once again for coming on my podcast. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Once again, I'd like to thank our partners, Bewell, 
for their sponsorship and their support. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We invite you to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Healthcare Digital Transformation Leader. Write to us at info at with your feedback and questions. 